0: I kind of get how the Emperor came to power now. No.
1: Let's I don't not. Don't even I don't start. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the politics of Star Wars, but that's not today. I I'm, I'm, I'm assume you started recording. I have. Hello, everyone. Hello. And welcome to our retrospective on Ishtar. Three,
0: two, three, four, four, two, three, and... You know, I've never actually seen Ishtar. Ishtar is terrible. I've I've heard some uh some nicer things recently. Those people are dead fucking wrong.
1: <laughs> it's baffling. It's not like it's not like hard to watch, it's just how did they spend that much money on this? Well,
0: you know it's easy to see how they spent that much money on the Star Wars prequels. You know what else oh. they spent it on? The original <laughs> Star Wars trilogy. Star Wars, starring Mark Hamill. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you.
1: Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper?
0: Harrison Ford. Boring conversation anyway. Whoa, we're gonna Whoa. I think we took a wrong turn.
1: Carrie Fisher. Good luck. Alec Guinness. You can't win, Duff. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine.
0: Which is what yeah, there we go. we're here to talk about. One in yes. particular today. But, uh, I mean, let's just, I guess this is the the announcement that we're doing a Star Wars retrospective to lead up to Star Wars The Last Jedi. Coming at ya.
1: Yeah. This December. If we make it. <laughs> I was doing a thing, I was trying to, when I started writing notes for the show i originally wrote like what could possibly be said about star wars that hasn't been said or at least hasn't been said enough and now my notes say what's the importance of star wars in the face of utter annihilation and a fascist uprising
0: well i would argue that it is pretty
1: important for all that stuff
0: at least maybe in like a really broad sense understanding
1: Yeah. Uh, and It's important to understand that if, you're, if you elect a guy that resembles any member of the Galactic Empire, he might be the wrong guy to vote for.
0: I think Lucas is a lot smarter than he's given credit for. Definitely. And um, the Star Wars prequels are a whole other topic that we'll get to. Obviously, we're going to start with Star Wars A New Hope. Or do you
1: just call it Star Wars, Matt? I- I'm the smug asshole who just calls it Star Wars. I don't do any of, like, the whole, like, Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, like, where you have to go through, like, three different titles to get to it. I just call them, by, I call it Star Wars, Empire, Jedi, Phantom Menace, Clones, Sith, and then Force Awakens.
0: That's fair, because it's also just simpler,
1: you know? Yeah. yeah you I mean, still run into problems of trying to explain the order of these films to people.
0: Oh, my God, yeah, especially with the standalones they're starting to do, so... Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it's also a good time to note that we're not doing Rogue One because we already talked about it in full when it came out last year. So, also put that in the playlist when we're all said and done. But um.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. Go ch- go check that out. Yeah. I think I pretty much still agree with what I said in it. I've so. I've softened
0: a little bit on the first act and a little bit on the second, but that third act's so fucking good. I'm still like head over heels, pretty much. Yeah. Before we start. In the the story and, like, the meaning of Star Wars and the characters, I think you might know a little more than I do about the the production history of Star Wars. I think most of it is relatively well-known, but I think some are, like, internet urban legends now.
1: Well, actually, the history of Star Wars is very complicated. I I was going to, right around the time The Force Awakens was, like, they were building the hype for it. I started working on like a big, it was going to be like my YouTube debut project, I was going to try and break down the history of Star Wars and try and answer some questions that maybe get muddled. And I pretty, much, I, I pretty much had a rough edit of a video done and then just stopped because I realized I didn't want to have crazy Star Wars fans coming after me. Because <laughs> they take a lot of that shit very seriously and a lot of them disagree on certain aspects. I just didn't want to deal with the aggravation of crazy Star Wars nuts, especially at that time in my life, which was not great. Yeah, so I know a lot, not, I wouldn't say more than the average nerd. Like, if I got to like a real nerd, ner- it would be like, you know, Bible coding with a nun. I know a decent, I- I've read, there's, you know, there's two really good books. The Secret History of Star Wars, which was written by a fan. I believe, and like self published. This guy went through like so many old like fanzines of Star Wars and got like all these quotes from Lucas. And it's a really good way to see how Star Wars evolves over the years. Then there's How Star Wars Conquered the Universe, which is a pretty good companion piece to that book, which also goes over the cultural impact of Star Wars. And then there are the official Lucasfilms making of books that are like 40 bucks each that are like huge hardcover books that are pretty great if you want to know all that stuff if you want more information go to those books so i'm giving i'm gonna be giving some very vague descriptions of things
0: what i didn't know until a couple years ago was uh
1: that george lucas had wanted to do a flash gordon movie before this and yeah and then he found out that he couldn't get the copyright so then he was like fuck it i'll do my own thing which is crazy to think about i mean at the time you have to remember lucas at this time I believe when he started writing, it was like right off of THX 1138, the film, being a pretty big disaster and no one really getting it. And then Lucas was working on a couple projects. One was Apocalypse Now, which Lucas wanted to go and film in Vietnam while the Vietnam War was still happening. American Graffiti. And then he had this vague idea of a a start of a Flash Gordon-esque type film that he felt would appeal to children. And could maybe make him a couple bucks if he kept it cheap, which would not happen. Well, one thing I want to say before I get into, I'm gonna go over the early scripts of Star Wars, um, which are kind of fucking ridiculous. but it's so hard to get exact information on the origins of a lot of the things in Star Wars. Like the big one being like the origin of like the character of Darth Vader. if you If you read any interview, Of George Lucas from the era of the prequels he'll say things like I knew the whole time that this was a story about Darth Vader and I knew from the beginning it was going to be about father who had these twin children and then the father went evil and the twin children had to help save him um and it's technically technically Star Wars is about the tragedy of Darth Vader that's complete bullshit (laughs) even if we go even if we have the cutoff point being when A New Hope was released when the original Star Wars was released at that moment, Lucas did not know that Darth Vader was Luke's father or that Princess Leia was Luke's sister. None of that was set in stone at the time. That those, all those ideas came later. When, when you were when looking at Star Wars, you have to get into the mindset of none of the other films exist. It's a hard mindset to get into. You have to look at Star Wars as just like a single film where there are no sequels. There's none of this backstory nonsense. Just try and look at it for what it is, and it leads to a lot of interesting interpretations of Star Wars, let's just say.
0: I mean, even just, like, the immediate sequels, if we don't take it as its own thing, it's kind of clear that not
1: everything was planned ahead of time.
0: Yes. And that's okay, you know?
1: Yeah, it's fine. I want to stress that when I'm saying, like, I'll be talking about how, you know, certain ideas were not set in stone at certain times and how ideas change. And when I talk about the original ideas, I'm not talking about which ideas are right and wrong. I'm just talking about how ideas change. Mm-hmm. And it's totally fine for these films to grow organically. We'll run into problems with how those films grow when it goes from being a collective of people working on these Star Wars films to a single voice working on the Star Wars films to a corporation working on Star Wars films and how the future might be a little... Uh, Frightening with how they handle it.
0: It's so weird how each trilogy kinda represents that, or not kind of, does represent that. And yeah. I'll be very interested to talk about that eventually when we get to the last Jedi. Um Mm -hmm. I also want to mention that movies grow. I mean, that's a process, especially with bigger budget movies. That not everything that's on the page is gonna make it onto the screen. Or maybe not the way it wasn't envisioned. And sometimes that works out for the best and sometimes it doesn't. Like there's no formula to making movies as much as people like to imagine that there could be like, that's just not how it works. You know, it's like, there's no formula for raising a kid, you know? I mean, obviously they're both complicated in their own distinct ways, but there's, there's no, um, there's right and wrong in terms of like the technical aspects of a movie. And there's teaching your kid right and wrong. And then like enabling them to, to grow out of that. But it's more complicated than just, a series of numbers and yeah. writing.
1: There's no idea island. There's no idea, there's no island where people go and they say, hey, this idea might be good and then they bring it back fully formed. That's not how creativity works. But Star Wars is unique because again, like I said, not just in interviews George Lucas has given where he's tried to rewrite the history, in the official Lucasfilm documentary Empire of Dreams, which is, you could call it a definitive documentary about the making of Star Wars. Um, They totally just rewrite history on how certain ideas were developed. Like, you know, George Lucas always goes like, well, I wrote this script that was so long, I had to divide it up into multiple films, which isn't true. And the actual line in the documentary about Darth Vader is that Darth Vader was there from practically the beginning, which also isn't true. I think Darth Vader appears in like the second or third rough outline of Star Wars. And that's the other thing, because Star Wars is this weird object like, we, when you look at these, you know, these notes of George Lucas, they're kind of treated as like holy relics. And it's hard to really, you see all the pieces that will later be things in the franchise, but it's also hard to imagine what it was like for him just knocking these ideas out.
0: One of my first uh, run-ins with the original Star Wars script, or at least one of the original scripts, was actually in comic book form a couple years back. They were really promoting, like, oh, this is the adaptation of one of the original versions of Star Wars. And everyone thought, uh, like, oh, that's so cool, you know? And seeing it, like, in this animated form. And it's uh, there's a reason they didn't make that version. It's yes, there really is.
1: Really fucking bad. Oh, my God, yes. that's I think that's the first rough draft of the movie, actually, that was adapted. Star Wars goes through a lot of weird permutations, I guess one could say. Um, the first thing you can find, the first, like, two things you can find is when Lucas sat down and decided, you know, I'm going to make this space movie for kids, um, which I'm not saying, like, I'm not trying to be insulting when I say for kids, because that's, George Lucas has kind of actually used that phrase disparagingly himself, but, uh, he really was trying to make a film for kids, but also have, like, a weird political bent to it, which we'll get into. Um, he sat down and just kind of like, you know, free writing, just tried to come up with a bunch of different names for characters. And you can find those lists out there somewhere where there's characters like Xerxes the Second or something like that. And like, you know, names that vaguely sound like Kenobi and things like that. But the first actual attempt to sit down and write it, um, he wrote like a two-page, just, just, you know, free writing. They just titled The Journal of the Wills. And the, the first line from the Journal of the Wills goes, This is the story of Mace Windy, a revered Jedi Bendu of Opuchi. related to us by C.J. Thorpe, Padawan learner to the famed Jedi. So that's the first thing ever written about Star Wars. And uh, you might recognize a couple things in that that came back in different forms. Um, Mace Windy, being one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that name. Oh, that's a oh, great. Yeah. That's
0: a great like,
1: it's a great name for like little uh, kid movie character. Oh yeah. Um, that will change as time goes on. Um, and that outline—it's literally, I think, it's like two pages long. It's kind of like two stories. One is about like an alliance being overthrown, and then the other takes place four years later on a planet called Yavin. Um, where Windy and CJ are uh, set to guard some sort of shipment, I believe. I think that's what happened in that first draft. But then it just stops. Like, Lucas sat down to write this. Probably got, like, two pages in and was like, fuck this. He's probably a little frustrated with himself, which is understandable. The next draft um, would be something called just the Star Wars. So, hey, nice and simple, right? Um, not as weird as the Journal of the Wills, um, which would be about a galactic civil war. A character named uh, General Luke Skywalker, a princess, was involved, and it followed two bureaucrats who discover a storage of valuable spice. Um, And this is the first one. There's a lot of uh, connections to the popular book Dune. I think Lucas looked at Dune and just kind of used some elements from it to help build his sci-fi world. And that's not saying that he ripped it off. He took everything from every sci-fi pulp book written up to that point and used bits and pieces of them in Star Wars. You can talk about the sources of Star Wars for a fucking hour, but we probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, Um,
0: I I didn't want to get into the whole Kurosawa thing.
1: Well, I think we should a little bit. A little bit, because this is the first one that kind of taps into... The Hidden Fortress, which is a Kurosawa film, and Lucas used the Hidden Fortress as a template to kind of start building a story around. Um, Some people say he ripped off the Hidden Fortress completely, which also is not true. Um, It's very likely in his earlier drafts that he was working off a synopsis of the Hidden Fortress, and he wasn't actually, you know, because this is like the 70s, you know, home video wasn't a thing. So, um, he couldn't just watch the movie constantly. He probably just worked off and then started building his own story on top of that, which is also like copying, you know, what someone like Sergio Leone did when he made, you know, fistful of dollars, which is just copying Ojimbo. You know, Jimbo. Hmm. And so I think you Lucas just said, I need a basic structure to pin some of these nutty things on. And that's, so he just took the hidden fortress and started with that. And so the second draft it also features uh, two rebel boys who are trained by General Skywalker, and you have stuff in it, like you have a cantina scene, um, you have a space battle, and you have a prison escape. Check these out all for yourself, you'll see a lot of really interesting recurring ideas. Uh, Then he went on to the rough draft of Star Wars, which is the one that was adapted into the comic, which follows Kane Starkiller and his sons Deke and Anakin, and their fight against the Galactic Empire, and the Knights of the Sith. And in this script, you'll see a lot of familiar names like Princess Leia, Luke Skywalker, R2-D2, C-3PO, Han Solo, Darth Vader, Cloning, um, Biggs, Windy appears again, um, Valorum, who won't show up until the prequels, Chewbacca and Wookiees, and Owen and Baru Lars. All those names appear in this script, but most of them serve very different purposes. Than they do in the eventual script of Star Wars.
0: Some of the designs are really similar to what will eventually be uh, like be known to everyone. Like yeah. Whether it's this version of Star Wars or in like Star Wars Rebels or the Clone Wars.
1: Like I know the Bendu has popped up on Star Wars Rebels. Like you see, they're called Jedi Bendu in a lot of the scripts, and that got changed to just Jedi. You know, to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And, but there's all, these, there's all these notes about stuff like Jedi Bendu, Bendu being a different thing. There's a, the Dark Side isn't called the Dark Side. It's called something called the Bogan, which I think the Bogan has appeared in different forms in some Star Wars-related media. Sith, and there's another version of the Sith that I don't remember their name. That's when Lucas finally wrote a first draft of Star Wars, which is a lot like the rough draft. Um, I'm not sure. I think the Death Star might appear for the first time in the first rough draft, but I don't think so. I'm not sure. I mean, um, I don't remember which one it first appears in. Um, but it definitely appears in after the first com- like official draft of Star Wars, the next iteration, which is called Adventures of the Stark Killer, Episode One: The Star Wars. Or the full title, <laughs> in case that title was too short for you. Adventures of the Starkiller, as taken from the Journal of the Wills, the Star Wars. And when this draft is written, this is when Lucas teams up with a guy named Ralph McQuarrie. And McQuarrie did a ton of art based off of this draft. And you start seeing this weird thing happen where the art is based on the script's and then the scripts start getting based on the art, and it starts going back and forth. There's this cross pollinization and this starts happening with everyone. Lucas starts meeting with at this time, um, which include model makers who are building like you know rough models to show executives of what X-wings will look at. Uh, my cat will not shut up, and uh, other artists that did like you know rough uh, storyboards that would he could, so he could show executives how things were going to look when he made the movie. Um, Ralph McQuarrie. Did art? I'm just going to list some of the art he did based on this draft, because um, there's some interesting stories behind some of the art. Um, he did one of the famous ones you can find is Deke Starkiller dueling Darth Vader, and this is important because Ralph McQuarrie may have been the guy who came up with uh, Darth Vader's iconic mask. Um, Darth Vader in the scripts is described as having a type of shogun armor. But in this picture, when he's dueling Deke Starkiller, Darth Vader very much has a breathing mask on that looks exactly like it will in the film. And he's fighting Deke Starkiller, who is also wearing a type of breathing mask. And Ralph McQuarrie said, well, in this part of the script, they were fighting on some bridge between spaceships, so I felt like they would need a breathing apparatus to cross between spaceships. And that's where Darth Vader's mask probably came from. Um, Lucas will maybe disagree. Because, you know, according to the Lucasfilm documentary, the Darth Vader was there from the beginning. And he did not change at all from the beginning. Because this, this is a story about Darth Vader. He's not just a henchman. Um, this is all about him, according to Lucasfilm. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> you also have a picture of R2-D2 and C-3PO leaving the escape pod on a planet called Utapa, not Tatooine. Um, Utapa will appear in the prequels. Um, There's R2-D2 and C-3PO escaping from the Sandcrawler. The Mos Eisley Spaceport, which shows the the classic two suns in the background. Um, Different weird aliens and Imperials patrolling the streets, and also Luke's uh, hover vehicle. There's a picture of stormtroopers... With laser swords, um, which is how the lightsabers are described in the early scripts, just laser swords. Um, They're patrolling the floating city of Yavin. I think that was Yavin at the time. Um, No, no, it wasn't Yavin. It was a different planet. My notes are wrong. Um, I don't remember what, but it's a floating planet, kind of like what Bespin would be. And we'd also see these laser swords that stormtroopers have reappear all the way in The Force Awakens. Um, and then rebel fighters on Yavin, and then the attack on the Death Star. Um, so, that's some of Ralph MacQuarie's art, based on this draft. Also, this draft has, opens with the iconic line, And at the time of the greatest despair, there shall come a savior, and he shall be known as the Son of Sons. Journal of the Wills, 3127. It's a little little far from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah,
0: And uh, I I didn't realize, I guess, Lucas always had the idea of this Chosen One
1: then? Yeah, well, you can see him playing with the idea of a Chosen One, um, but he he does not carry that into the official, like, later scripts he abandons the Chosen One idea. Maybe because his older self was smarter than his later self and realized that Chosen One narratives aren't that great. Because there's no mention of Luke being a chosen one. in There's stuff about destiny, but not chosen one. Um, but you can see him working with these ideas. And at the time, it's funny. You can like find all these interviews with people like Martin Scorsese and Francis Coppola, Or they will be talking about something else. And they'll be like, oh yeah, and Lucas was hanging out there at the time. And he had like all these different books. And we'll be like, what are you doing, George? And he's like, I'm trying to find the collective consciousness of fantasy and science fiction. Everyone would be like, that's great, George. (laughs) And then walk away. (laughs) So George was looking at everything at the time. Um, This is the one where Luke, in this version of script, Luke becomes the main character instead of uh, Luke was the princess's general in other versions of the script. Um, it starts with R2-D2 much like, it's, the opening of this is very similar to the opening of Star Wars with R2-D2 and C-3PO escaping from a captured ship. But this has the uh, MacGuffin of the Kyber Crystals, which are like some like, important resource that people are trying to get. And this is from The Hidden Fortress. The Hidden Fortress, there's this whole subplot about, the whole plot about the princess's gold that is being smuggled out. And Lucas like, can't let go of this gold idea. <laughs> Until, like, the very final draft of Star Wars. And here's where history almost took a really interesting turn. Between drafts, Lucas decided that most fantasy, most popular fantasy and sci-fi stories, more, more fantasy, which is what he's leaning on, um, the protagonist is a girl. You know, Wizard of Oz. You know, Alice in Wonderland, even stuff like, you know, Goldilocks, Cinderella, the girl's the main character. So Lucas thought, maybe I should have a girl protagonist. So Luke was changed to a girl. And Ralph McQuarrie did a couple paintings, a couple, I mean, uh, drawings of Luke as a girl. And these are often mistaken as early drafts of Princess Leia, but no, this is Luke as a girl. I don't know if they ever gave Luke as a girl a name, but uh, maybe she could make that choice. Uh, so there's a there's an official poster. You can look it up. Like look up like early poster for Star Wars. It has that weird looking Chewbacca on it. Um, that is now used for that one character on Rebels. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's Zeb. But that poster, it looks like, you know, there's a girl in the front. And you're like, oh, is that Princess Leia? Because they would have similar images of Princess Leia on posters. For but no, that's Luke as a girl. And then the, the, the art that is, you know, supposed to be Luke with his land speeder looking at, you know, Moss Eisley spaceport. Which is another famous image from the movie and famous uh, Ralph McQuarrie um, work.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I love that little
1: piece. I, I adore that, that image. That's Luke as a girl awesome. standing there. So that almost happened. When we, to skip ahead a little, but casting, we almost had a black Han Solo. Um, I, I forget the actor's name, but it was the actor who played the mayor on the wire and was also the science teacher who stopped the train in Super 8. He auditioned for Han Solo Oh shit. at one point. And there was talks of Toshiro Mifune. I'm sorry if I said it wrong, but he was considered for either the role of Obi-Wan or Darth Vader. There's conflicting reports.
0: Oh, he would have been
1: a great Obi-Wan. Yeah. Um, And also, but when he was, the the idea of him being considered for Darth Vader was also before it was locked down that Darth Vader was going to be wearing this mask all the time. For a long time, Darth Vader had it open, you know, he just had that Shogun helmet. Mm -hmm. Um, So that almost happened. Uh, But fate went another direction and we got a bunch of lily white motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, so uh, after this, I mean, I don't want to, I think I can stop pretty much here going in detail into these drafts. The next few drafts are all very similar to each other and they eventually um, turn into the shooting draft of Star Wars. Star Wars. A billion years in the making. The Force will be with you. Always. Yep. Isn't that (laughs) exciting, kids? It's it's BTS. It's what what the, the kids look for nowadays. I highly recommend to go read this shit. And also for people at Lucasfilm to just blatantly take ideas out of it and just keep reusing them to keep these movies going. Because I think I would like to see a lot of this stuff appear in different, more coherent stories. Um, So yeah. But this also dispels the idea that Lucas had a grand plan. He didn't. I think there's a famous outline somewhere out there where uh, Lucas has like six, six or nine episodes written down And he has like brief statements written next to each one. And some people go like, this is a part of his grand plan. But that outline was not written until after the release of the first Star Wars. I I could go into a lot of other weird directions this takes. um, Including that the opening scene would have been Wookiees growling at each other. And then opening up a storybook that would then tell the story of Star Wars.
0: Oh well, we do kind of get something like that.
1: Yes, we do. <laughs> in in a thing called the holiday special, which means that George Luke that the Wookies howling at each other in Star in the Star Wars holiday special was probably George Lucas's idea. And he and would go on so, record
0: as saying that uh, he would destroy every copy with a hammer if he could. Yeah, which uh,
1: um. Which is okay. funny until we talk about how he has treated the actual Star Wars films over the years. Oh. Um, and also, he denied its existence for years. <laughs> like for years, like before the internet, he said it didn't exist. <laughs> it was suppressed. <laughs> fucking, fucking, <laughs> like more so than the Manhattan Project. Oh. Fucking, it was they tried to cover it up, but they couldn't. Um, so that's just a fascinating thing about Star Wars. Uh, there's, a, another, there's
0: another universe where Twin Peaks The Return has an episode dedicated to the holiday special being oh. the birth of evil.
1: <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot of the funny, the fun thing to go through Star Wars history is to just see all the weird directions it could have gone in. I mean, it's a lot of fun if you really like this stuff. And you like filmmaking in general because, you know, you get to learn a lot about the process. Mm. Um, In the 70s at least, um, uh, the filmmaking process isn't as magical in uh, 2017, I would say. Um, Uh,
0: But even regardless, just, uh, like, how he would scour through all this material to look for, like, inspiration and, like, directions for stories and, like... Mm. Even just like the group process, like that, like you mentioned, they bounce off each other. Like, oh, this looks cool, so maybe the story could do this. Well, they wrote this. What if this? And it just goes to show, like, you gotta have, for a, well, at least for a story like this, there should be a lot of different routes and inspirations and like yeah. directions for the story. It shouldn't just be like inspired by a singular thing to make a sequel of that thing or like a a new version of a singular idea. It should be a lot of ideas coming together to make something new.
1: Yeah. And I I love just, it's fun to look at the cross-pollinization of different ideas coming together. Like, just, like, how things change when you start bringing an artist on and how things change when you bring a model maker on and how things change when you bring, you know, special effects people on. Also, like, I wish Lucas was more open to the fact, like, we just did be just talk about, like, all the different ideas that helped inform him and all the other people he worked with on these films. But in, like, more recent years, he's been very determined to be like, I am the creator of Star Wars. And he doesn't like giving credit to other people. That's too bad. It really you, is. You can find older interviews where he does credit stuff, where he talks a little bit more about, you know, Flash Gordon and, like, Asimov's Foundation series uh, as inspiration for Star Wars. Um But And also, he brought in two people, I I don't remember the names, but he had two people help rewrite the dialogue for Star Wars to help make it a little less clunky at times, because fuck, is there a lot of clunky dialogue in the first Star Wars? That is delivered amazingly. That's the weird thing. Like, any of this on paper would have looked fucking stupid. (laughs) But somehow Lucas got these amazing performances out of these, like, untested actors, most of them. Um, and, like, Alec Guinness was, like, you know, the most professional guy on the set, but everyone else was kind of a beginner. Somehow he got good performances out of him, and it's weird when you see the performances he gets out of people later. There's a quote, I think it's credited to Leonardo da Vinci, but I think that's bullshit. I don't know who actually said it. But art is never finished, only abandoned. and But then we discover that art, you know? like. Nothing's ever finished because Lucas has this weird obsession with trying to finish Star Wars and constantly redoing Star Wars. And sh- don't look at Star Wars in that way. Don't look at Star Wars as this puzzle piece that's like important to the- Star Wars. Needs to be looked at like it's a weird like pottery you found buried in the dirt, and it's telling us a story about not just you know like a narrative, but also that time and how movies are made. And you can see like all the different handprints on it. You can see all the different brush strokes in it. And that's what's beautiful about revisiting an original cut of Star Wars. Which I have um, because you can only get the special editions on Blu-ray. The last official release of of the original edits of Star Wars were on bonus discs and they were terrible transfers. Lucas has even hinted that he destroyed the negatives of Star Wars, which is possibly evil. Um... But, like, like I, I illegally, there's a group out there that, you know, like a group of fans just on their free time who basically saved the original cuts of Star Wars. And they made these beautiful HD, re- like, you know, um, what would, restorations of the film that you can, you know, torrent and put on a Blu-ray disc and then watch. And I hadn't seen... The original Star Wars in its original form since I was a kid, when I had it on VHS, and when I sat down to watch it and put it in my Blu-ray player, like, I, I'm going to be honest, I fucking teared up. Because I hadn't seen Star Wars looking that good in over a decade. I, this is me just kind of playing with people to go find these fan edits um, by a guy named Harmy, who also has a nice little video out there explaining how they uh, restored these films.
0: Um, yeah, He has a, a great video on it. I've never seen the Harmy Cut edition. Oh my god! Used, uh, and I need to because I do have full uh, DVD transfer. I, I know it's like blasting, but sometimes I watch movies on my computer. I'm like, I, I like taking screenshots of things. You know, I like wallpapers. Yeah, yeah. And it's even the menu for that is like <laughs> such a, like a, a discard. It looks like it's almost fit for 3D just because the coloration is like weird. And yeah. the, the letters
1: aren't, like, trimmed properly or something. It's bad. Even the special editions are a pretty bad transfer. Um, They're too bright. Uh, There's a lot of problems with how Star Wars has been treated over the years. And I really, I mean, we'll get into it, but I really hope that someone at Lucasfilm right now, that Lucas isn't there, is working hard to restore these films. An official restoration.
0: Well, do you remember when uh, the, the Force Awakens was opening up and they're like, oh, we're doing the Star Wars marathon episodes one to six before The mm. Force Awakens and people, there was like a theory online. And they're like, oh, they're going to release the original trilogy and like, they're going to announce like uh, an official Blu-ray for it. But like, I honestly don't think it's going to happen while Lucas is alive.
1: Probably, and, there might be, there's there might be a reason for that, but we'll, that, that'll be a later episode.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it's a, a very sad feeling i have towards a creator i very much enjoy because of that but
1: yeah i feel i've already realized i'm already kind of bashing on lucas and i didn't want to i didn't want to come on here and be like you know lucas gets too much credit or that shit without lucas this shit doesn't exist
0: yeah like and there's enough just there's enough already online where people just bash him like mm -hmm. incessantly it's excessive and you know yeah this doesn't (laughs) exist without him even mm-hmm. though, yeah, maybe he doesn't credit enough people. He, he mm-hmm. should. But without him, we're there's gonna, nobody else to credit anyways. We're going to get into a lot of
1: his gross actions over the years related to the franchise. Um, but if I ever met George Lucas, I would just give him a hug mm-hmm. and say thank you. It's Like, I can be angry about this shit, but fuck it. Like... He's resp- at the end of the day, he's responsible for three of my all time favorite movies. And that's a good enough for me. <laughs> you wouldn't say six, huh? I would not say six. <laughs> we will get into that. There's going to be a lot of that. There's some brief talk about Star Wars, its importance and how we should probably look at it. And again, let's you know, we're going to look at Star Wars right now as just Star Wars. Nothing else. There's no such thing as Empire Strikes Back. Those are we first came out of the theater in
0: 1977.
1: Yeah. Came out of the theater, and if we were film critics at the time, we would devote an entire paragraph to talk about how great the cantina scene was. <laughs> <laughs> every critic, like you would think they would be like, oh, the Death Star Trench, and oh, the lightsabers. Nope, the, it was the cantina was the scene that every critic was like, holy shit, this is amazing. <laughs> no one had ever seen anything like that. Like that, the creativity in that scene alone is amazing. Uh, just like cutting all these different monsters and stuff, um, it's amazing. And uh, half of those monsters were shot on like different days because, like, Lucas like originally filmed it and just kind of had a bunch of weirdos in spacesuits and then realized it looked terrible. <laughs> So he got some money to add monsters to the scene at a later date. And if you watch, they're literally like just all these different shots of monsters all in front of the same wall, <laughs> just from slightly different angles. Um, it's, like, it's so scrappy. Yeah, oh, it's great. No, the, the scrappiness of the editing of Star Wars is amazing. Um, Star Wars is notorious for being a film saved in editing. In Empire of Dreams, the documentary, you can actually see some rough cut footage. And you're like, holy shit, (laughs) this movie's terrible. (laughs) Like, it's not even close. Um, There's a pretty good comparison for the original edit of the scene where Obi-Wan finally whips out his lightsaber for the first time. And then the edit that's in the final film. And it's like night and day. Like, one is like this really boring static shot. And then the other is like all these cross cuts of like Luke getting thrown across the room and then like people reacting and the like guns getting pulled out and Obi-Wan fucking whipping that sword around the bartender, like ducking for cover. Like the original cut is literally just Obi-Wan pulls out his lightsaber and hits a guy. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, wow, it's a great, Star Wars is a great lesson in editing, Um, which were, I forget the names of the two guys who did it, but one of the people who's never credited enough is Lucas's first wife who did the editing on all 3 of the Star Wars films.
0: Three people that are credited at least on Wikipedia, so it's not the most reliable source, but I know mm. this is legit. Paul Hirsch, Richard mm. Chu, and of course Marcia Lucas, who it's a well-known fact at least among like the like the deep cut nerds that she's like the saving grace of Star Wars. Or God bless her and the in, other editors.
1: In- in the documentary Empire of Dreams, the official Lucasfilm documentary, it says Lucas was able to borrow his wife from Martin Scorsese for a couple days to help edit on the first film. And that's all that's mentioned of her con- um, contributions. Jesus. Yeah. For those who don't know, she's the
0: supervising film editor on Taxi Driver in New York, New York.
1: Yeah, she's a great editor. She was, at least. She, I don't think she's done anything in years.
0: Yeah, no, I think after um, Star Wars, she was just like, all right, I'm going to sit back and just enjoy that divorce money.
1: Uh, and all the royalties I'll be getting, unless Lucas finds a weird loophole to cut out giving me royalties for editing the original Star Wars films. But how could that happen? That's, a, that's foreshadowing people. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's, let's wind the clock back. Let's get out of the cantina for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, does Star Wars contain the best opening five minutes of any film ever made? <laughs> Possibly. Like, other than maybe Citizen Kane, which, you know, has Actually, the eerie no. opening.
0: No, no. Uh, the direct, the uh, theatrical version of Miami Vice is the best five minutes
1: to a movie ever made. Okay. Yeah. All right. but All mean, right. Here's your Miami opening. Vice plug. Yeah, it's no, it's great, it's but I was, I'm... I'm not sure if I'd rank it up there as one of the greatest.
0: I, no, the, the opening is so perfectly executed. It, mm-hmm. it I mean, that's what I was really shocked by as, you know, like my, my taste in movies and like the type of movies I like to watch and what I look for in a movie. This was really shocked to me. Like everyone knows Star Wars is fun as shit. Mm. But it's you know, there was there was issues in the production in terms of like putting it together, but Lucas has a very good eye. Yes. For being able to convey a story visually. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I think everyone brings this up, but it's so good, I have to. Um, mm-hmm. With the little tiny rebel ship running away over, the, uh, over Tatooine, and then the giant Imperial spacecraft just like almost covering the screen. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, you know who the good guy is and you know who the bad guy is just from that shot. Yeah. It's, it's remarkably well done.
1: Oh, yeah. And I mean, we're thrown right into the story so well. It's so weird when you compare it to. Like, not just later Star Wars films that are very clunky with their openings. Um, But, like, films in general, like, a lot of films these days have clunky openings, which is weird. And Star Wars got it so right. (laughs) Like, right out of the gate. And we're hit with a lot of info from the very beginning. I mean, you know, you're suddenly thrown in, there's this whole, like, you read three paragraphs, basically. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Three very short, but, like, you know... Kind of like, hey, here's what's going on. There's a civil war. Fucking the princess is running. She's got info on this Death Star. Darth Vader's after him.
0: Yeah, and that also makes it feel like more like a classical fantasy adventure, you know? Oh, yeah. very storybook, but in the world of science fiction, which is, you know, that's exactly what Star Wars is.
1: And this opening crawl idea appears in, like, very early drafts of Star Wars. Like, Lucas knew he wanted to open with a crawl like this. Um, And also, Brian De Palma wrote the, the crawl that we see in the film. Um, he rewrote Lucas's version.
0: I had no idea. That's amazing. Uh,
1: yeah, and Brian De Palma uh, was, one of, was very vocal in how terrible he thought the rough edit of Star Wars was. <laughs> Lucas had a bunch of friends over, including Steven Spielberg. And according to Spielberg, he was the only one who liked it. And, every, and Brian De Palma was literally like, fuck it, Lucas has lost it. <laughs> This movie's going to be terrible. And like told everyone he knew about how bad he thought it was, which I don't know anyone why they would do that to their friend. But okay, I get it. Brian Paul was kind of a dick, but all right. Um, It's a very interesting little story. But then he's like, I'll rewrite that opening crawl for you. Like throw you a couple bucks with your film that is sure to fail. And then Lucas goes on to be the most successful of the new Hollywood filmmakers. (laughs) Other than maybe Spielberg. And then you know you jump right in, you're suddenly introduced to fucking two weird robots, <laughs> and you, and one that only beeps. Like I just it, I can't imagine going to see this in 1977. You know, like we live in such a post Star Wars world that even when we're little kids, we kind of get you know raised on a lot of different things that'll gear us up for something like Star Wars. It's but to me. Like, ch- trying to get my head around, like, walking into a dark theater and probably not even seeing a preview for the movie. And just kind of hearing about it in a newspaper or from friends. And then seeing it and then fucking, that's the opening you get. I can't imagine. Um, my dad saw it in theaters. Um, oh, lucky. Like, like m- get this. He saw it months after its release and had never seen any footage from it like imagine that world. Um, and he just went to see it cause everyone was talking about it and he went to see it with his family. And he said that like people screamed <laughs> at the, at the star destroyer coming over, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is also the shot where we're hit with the great special effects work and also, uh, the great sound design, Ben Burt's amazing sound design that, you know, informed a lot of star Wars.
0: Also, lasers in space, which is, again, not yeah. realistic, but it's not trying to be it's
1: space fantasy. Well, any, any sound in space is not realistic, but who yeah. fucking cares?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Carl Sagan was really upset about that. <laughs> he felt that it, w- it really damaged popular ideas about space. So, like, if someone's like, Dad, it's just a movie, and he's like, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, oh, well. Not too bad. Can't can't win them all. Also, all right. Um I I had notes I I forgot I forgot to bring these notes in about um something called the Dykstra Flex, which was the, the camera that was invented specifically for special effects on Star Wars.
0: Wow. That's some James uh, by John, shit.
1: Yeah, by John Dykstra. because um, Lucas very much wanted you know a really fast energy to all the special effects shots in Star Wars. He wanted a dogfight in space. Like, that is something that exists in like, the very first draft. He wanted a dogfight in space. Um, the problem was the way special effects worked at the time was that they all had to be very static special effects shots. Um, I wish... I don't have my notes. I, I'm going to fuck up explaining how this works, but when you layer different shots together... The camera has to be in the exact same position, or else it'll fuck up the shot. Um, you can't have the camera moving too much. Um, so it has to be the same exact camera angle on the background, which would be space, or maybe some planets, you know, like, you know, a matte painting. The same effect on, you know, the, a model in the background, and then the same exact angle on a model in the foreground. I know I'm fucking up explaining this. Look it up. It's really interesting stuff. Um, But John Dykstra wanted to build a camera that basically could follow the movements for one shot of, a, a, let's say, a model and then recreate that exact same shot when filming a background. Um, The camera would move in the exact same way. Uh, And this is how we get a lot of the interesting dynamic panning shots in Star Wars, like the space battles. Um, There's all sorts of video on it. The only problem is, um, Dykstra would go to spend like 90% of the first special effects budget on this camera. And like at a low point during this whole production, which was just a nightmare, everyone knows the story about how much of a nightmare this production was. Um, Lucas had only two special effects shots, neither of which he would approve. Oh, so that was, like, that was like fucking rock bottom for the movie. Where it looked like it wasn't going to get finished. Eventually they put more money into it um, and turned shit around. An unsung hero of Star Wars is Alan Ladd Jr., who was the head of uh, 20th Century Fox at the time. And he specifically went looking for weird projects from up-and-coming directors because he found the script for Star Wars and he found the script for Alien. So, those were like two of the biggest sci-fi films ever. He was looking for them. Um, And he produced them through Fox. And then Fox would fire him uh, during the production of Empire because they blamed him on not securing the merchandising deals and the sequel rights to Star Wars, which Lucas did. Um, they, They felt Lucas pulled a fast one on the studio. And then Alan Ladd Jr. would go on to found the Ladd Company, which would produce Blade Runner, the Right Stuff, and Once Upon a Time in America. Three great movies, and then go bankrupt. Oh, <laughs> and, oh my god, none
0: of those made money.
1: Yeah, none of them did. Oh, and man. also, part of it is his fault. I mean, they, the lad company you know, re-edited Blade Runner, and they re-edited Once Upon a Time in America to the point where Once Upon a Time in America for years was essentially unwatchable. And then only recently can you get versions of the film that actually work. Century Fox and George Lucas bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. It's, it, it is lightning in a bottle, but that does that it's still timeless. It holds up today. You can put it on. I mean, I've shown it to younger people tons of times now, and it fucking holds up. I mean, kids love this shit. <laughs> and it's just it's just great. This one's the weirdest of the original trilogy um, because it movie it, this movie's basically like a greatest hits of like every film genre ever <laughs> <laughs> thrown into one movie with really bizarre dialogue. Type the dialogue in the first Star Wars is very different than the dialogue in later films, and that's probably because of Lawrence Kasdan, mm-hmm. um, who wrote the next two. Um, but this one, you can you know you have all, like flyboy and, like, all sorts of weird... Like, you'll find yourself floating home and all sorts of weird phrases that are just thrown around and delivered in ways that make them believable, which is crazy, because on paper they would all look stupid.
0: Yeah, they they shouldn't work, and yet they're still iconic lines. Yeah. It's it's, it's remarkable. It's insane. It it doesn't make sense, Mm -hmm. but it is. I, I think it was Spielberg who said... When you're making a movie, like directors are like magicians or something like that. Mm -hmm. And this really is just like a sequence of nonstop magic tricks to make you buy into this world. Like, it's authentic. It's a little hokey and silly, but it's not calling attention to itself. It's just just telling a story in this world. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, and we brought this up a lot of times, where a lot of movies, because they're kind of insecure about themselves, would be like, oh, but it's all just silly fun. Here's a joke, like diffuse a serious situation, like that. That can work because Star Wars is funny too. That's another thing I really got into. It, it's like there's a moment where Chewbacca and R two D two are playing the equivalent of space chess. Oh yeah, I think. And uh, R two D two is beating Chewbacca, and Han Solo mentions that. Uh, you know, if a Wookiee loses, it'll rip some the the winner's arm sockets out because they get so yeah. mad and frustrated. And then uh, R two D two kind of backs down a little bit. And it's like, that's,
1: that is weird and funny and charming. Imagine all the world building that has to work for that joke to work. That's an example of how good Star Wars is. Because if you didn't understand what the fuck was going on, you wouldn't get the joke. Um, And yet, Star Wars is incredibly funny, like intentionally at times. Um, And like some people kind of criticize the force awakens for being a little too funny. And yeah, I think the force awakens goes a little too far, but it's not weird for star Wars to be funny.
0: It's not out of the realm. Like all the star Wars movies are okay. Most of the star Wars movies (laughs) are pretty funny.
1: Um, intentionally funny. We got to stress. Yeah. Even empire is funny.
0: Yeah. And that's the one that's noted as like the dark sequel that changed everything. Yeah.
1: There's some levity in it, you know? Mm. it's just a movie, it can be more than one thing yeah exactly if you know what you're fucking doing you can make a movie a lot of different things
0: is C-3PO an asshole?
1: um yeah but not like a horrible asshole (laughs) I mean C-3PO he abandons R2 but then he also saves R2 I mean, c 3 po is a very conflicted guy. C-3PO's been through a lot.
0: Okay, that, that's true. Even just that, I guess, is kind of intense. I haven't, had
1: sh- I haven't had shit like that happen to me since I've been in Vegas. And then he's, like, lying to Luke for R2. C-3PO's loyal to R2, so... Except for that one time when they abandoned each other.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, tensions were high at that moment, you
1: know? Yeah, at that point, it felt like shit was bad. I mean, cause that was when R2 was babbling about a secret mission... She was like, you're fucking losing it. <laughs> That's my dialogue if I wrote Star Wars, by the way. You fucking, <laughs> fuck fucking asshole. You haven't heard of the goddamn um, Millennium Falcon? Yeah, fucking Millennium Falcon. Fucking did that Kessel Run shit in 14 parsecs or whatever the fuck. I don't even remember. You know what shot is amazing every time I watch this movie? Fucking Luke just looking at those two sons. You mean the
0: best shot in the series?
1: Yeah, that, the whole series is in that shot. And John Williams' score really gets to shine.
0: Oh my God, how have I not even talked to I, I, Let's talk about the Luke scene for a second. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going back to Williams immediately afterwards
1: because that is that's something else. Um, yeah, the, they, they fucking got the luckiest guy. <laughs> I mean, fuck uh, was it at one point. Luke just looking out, at it's almost cathartic in a way. But not, not really, maybe that's the wrong word for it. It's- we all feel how Luke is feeling in that moment. And it shows how universal those type of feelings are. Especially because the shot never lets us forget that we're on a planet on the, on a, in a completely different galaxy.
0: <laughs>
1: I mean, you're never, it, you're reminded that this is a weird movie with space wizards. And it's also a movie about a kid who doesn't know what, where his place is in the world. And that's great.
0: They're grounded with human emotion. They don't need to be grounded with like, logical science. you know? There's a place mm. for that, too. You can't disregard anything as long as it's, I think it's done well. You know, you know I'm getting hurt in the process or whatever. But that's a key element of Star Wars as a standalone movie. Yeah. And even bigger than that, I think that's why it's, it's held on to so many people for
1: so long. Yeah. I mean, any kid can watch Star Wars and identify with it which is crazy considering how weird it is.
0: <laughs> I mean, like, like nowadays, who, there would be all this backstory about everything happening in the movie because you want to yeah. make sure people understand what it means, you know? Like, oh, this isn't that weird here because of this. And it's like, no, just let it be weird.
1: Movies don't slow down and have quiet moments anymore, except for The Force Awakens, which has a beautiful scene that is pretty much trying to, you know, it's trying to ape the scene. But it's a moment where I was when I was in the theater. I'm like, this movie's got me. I think some of you might know what I'm talking about, but if not, we'll get to it.
0: Yeah, there are there are definitely moments in The Force Awakens with that where they actually didn't hit me until my second viewing. I don't want to spend too long on that, but um, yeah, yeah, I I, I wasn't crazy about it at first, and then I, I was like, some mm, No, there's something there. When you can compel someone to be like that, drawn to a story with just a bunch of images and sound, like. Fuck, if that's not art, I don't know what is.
1: All this shit's great. Even when we talk about the bad times, still great in a weird way. Do you remember when you first watched Star Wars?
0: I couldn't remember. I couldn't tell you the first time I like watched it and like sat down. I know I was young, mm-hmm. and I remember watching more than any other one um, the moment towards the end. I, I really liked the big space battle when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I had the, the special edition VHS.
1: Yeah. That's, I had a yeah, I had original VHS motherfucker. Oh fucking! And uh, me. uh, I my favorite was the Hoth battle, which so I just oh. rewatched a lot. So I watched Empire a lot as a kid. Um, but uh, I still have like I don't remember the act like actively watching the film. Like I don't remember what led up to it as I do with certain other movies, but I do remember. I have fleeting memories of watching certain moments for the first time. And Luke looking at those two sons, I remember. Um, I remember R2 getting captured by the Jawas. I also remember Han coming in to save the day at the end. I remember that moment. And I remember uh, Obi-Wan dying. I remember seeing those for the first time. I remember those leaving a big impact on me as a kid. Which I can use that to segue into... Uh, Alec Guinness, notorious hater of Star Wars, um, but somehow managed to bring in a fucking amazing performance. Watch that scene when he first meets Luke, and Luke mentions the name Obi-Wan. And tell me you don't get chills. It's like, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time.
0: Yeah, even in the context of this is a singular movie that holds a remarkable amount of weight, and that's because of Alec Guinness.
1: You don't even need a really shitty backstory to know the weight of that scene. <laughs> Just watch Alec Guinness's face. It's so good. Like, I, it's fucking so awesome to watch. Um, and again, he, he notoriously hated Star Wars and thought it was stupid. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, a fan famously told him he'd seen it like 50 times. And Alec Guinness said, I'll sign your autograph if you promise never to watch it again. <laughs> That's kind of fucked up. That's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a pretty dick move. Um, yeah. And I think he was um, out trashing Lucas. Like, cause I think Guinness lived all the way till the prequels, and I think he was out there kind of trashing Lucas around that time. Jesus. Oh. But he made a fortune because Lucas gave him points because they couldn't afford him. Um, Alec Guinness got a lot of money off of Star Wars and an Oscar nomination. He was nominated for playing Obi-Wan.
0: But do you know who caught his attention on set?
1: Um, who was it? Man uh, Solo? He, he, yeah, he
0: he was like, maybe not shit-talking, but like like kind of just iffy with everyone else. And the, oh, they're all up-and-comers, whatever, like they're just youngsters. He was always like, oh, but that Harrison, there's something there. Just like, hmm, maybe that'll turn out well. Well, he was right
1: in a weird way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he would go on to be the biggest star from this movie. And he also was probably the most antagonistic with Lucas on set. Um, with, in terms of the dialogue, you can actually see, if you actually know the scripts, watching the movie and watching audition tapes, in which you can see Kurt Russell try out for the role of Han Solo, um, you, can, you can see Harrison Ford changing the dialogue because he knows some of it just will not work. Uh, Harrison Ford famously said to George, on the set, I believe, you can write this shit, George, but you can't say it. I mean, it's it's weird, because that ends up informing the character. I mean, uh, Mark Hamill delivers his lines, like, very earnestly. And that's his character. And, you know, there's the earnestness really translates in the movie. Um, and Harrison Ford is kind of the smart-ass, you know, cynic of the group. And that's what he was on set.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Carrie Fisher has a weird accent.
0: Oh, okay. She, I love she's a, that.
1: She's, a, she's, a, she's an American who was living in Britain for a few years, so she picked up a bit of an English accent, so it sounds a little weird. <laughs> and
0: then by the halfway point, it's gone from the movie.
1: Yeah. You no, know, in some scenes, she goes from both accents. <laughs> um, but she's still good in the movie. I don't, I'm i not here to shit talk Carrie Fisher. I loved Carrie Fisher. Yeah, I, everyone in the movie is,
0: is... You can tell that maybe they're newer to this than Alec Guinness, but they're, they're, they play their parts really well. Yeah. Like, they just fit the bill so perfectly. And I, I don't know if I can go to the extent, like, I can't imagine anybody playing them in this movie, but, like, I mean, with the history of Star Wars and, like, all these films now, it's like, could there really have been anybody else at the end of the day? No.
1: Um, yeah, it would have been a very... No matter who you got, it would have changed the film dramatically. Not saying it would have made it bad, mm-hmm. but it would have been a completely different beast if you had anyone else in these movies. Mm-hmm. If you want a good laugh, look up uh, David Prouse as Darth Vader before they added James Earl Jones' voice. Start tearing the ship apart piece by
0: piece until you find those tapes. Find the passengers of this vessel. I want them alive.
1: You now, what you're talking about. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on the diplomatic. You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take her away. Also, fucking James Earl Jones is so good in this one. Um, I I really noticed it this time watching it. Um, I'm not sure I gotta really like listen to his voice in the next few, um, but in this one he's like being a menacing, you know. All he has is his voice to work with. He's really he's really driving it home. I get why Darth Vader is such an intimidating character.
0: Yeah. Do you think if this was the only Star Wars movie, the only one, would Darth Vader still be considered like one of the top ten villains ever?
1: Um. That's actually a tough one. Yeah, because I, um,
0: I don't know if I'd feel that. He's a great villain, just in this one on, a, on his
1: own. He would probably be more know. like Boba Fett is treated. Like, you know, Boba Fett, Like everyone loves Boba Fett, but Boba Fett doesn't actually do shit in any of these movies.
0: Yeah. Wait, I want to get back to that. So, there's a reason why I end up liking that in mm-hmm. the Jedi. But, uh,
1: yeah, he doesn't do yeah, a yeah. lot
0: in this one.
1: No, he's a straight-up henchman in the movie, there's, we get backstory for him and we know that, you know, we're just kind of introduced that he's a Sith, which is never a word that's never mentioned in the film but it is mentioned in promotional materials. Um, in like all sorts of like books, he was referred to as the Dark Lord of the Sith. Um, and that was at a time before we had any of this stuff fleshed out about exactly who the Emperor was and exactly what the Imperial government was built like how that was structured, because none of that matters to this story. In Lucas's early drafts, the Emperor wasn't even the main villain. And and you can feel it when you watch this movie. The idea was that the Emperor was kind of a figurehead, and it was actually a military government that ruled everything. And this was actually uh, Lucas trying to comment on... This is how he viewed the Nixon administration. Um, Kind of viewed Nixon as a bit of a puppet for warmongers. Uh... And that Star Wars is actually a movie about the Vietnam War where the rebels of Vietnam, the Empire is America. And that's not, that's not Lucas rewriting history either. Lucas was saying that years ago. He actually talks about it less now. Mm-hmm. Um, so have that when you're watching this movie next time. <laughs> Keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, if anything, for maybe some faults that might come up in his later Star Wars movies... Mm-hmm. I don't think he's he's dumb in how he handles
1: the political aspect no. of Star Wars. He's not dumb. He just needs a, a guiding hand. Yeah. He's clearly a, an idea guy. He's clearly got a lot of ideas in his head. Um, I mean, it's one of those things where you find the interviews with him where he's not talking about Star Wars. And you really realize how brilliant he is. Because he's got a lot to say about a lot of things. And some of it's a little kooky. Um, I think there's a video out there where Seth Rogen talks about meeting him and George Lucas talking about the 2012 apocalypse like it might really happen. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Lucas, you know, a bit of a weird guy, but he's got a lot going on in his head. Um, he's a smart guy. Uh, and really did help reinvent how movies are done. And that was, that's, been, that's his goal from the get-go. Um, he founded Lucasfilm Limited to be independent from the studio system. And he said that that's how it should be. The filmmakers should control their own studios and their own production facilities, not corporations. Which is why he sold it to a corporation, I guess. George, you're a weird guy. (laughs) Full of contradictions.
0: And actually, to talk about something more current, it'll have come out by the time this is uploaded, but uh, Logan Lucky is doing something similar for Sodenberg as what Lucas was talking about for why he created Lucasfilm. You know, so there's no Mm -hmm. middleman for between the audience and the filmmaker. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't know all the details, but it's like this production that is almost solely funded without like uh, studio interference. Because that's why Soderbergh ended up leaving filmmaking for a couple of years.
1: Yeah. He was frustrated with all that. Well, that's been happening. A couple of directors have been trying stuff like that. I mean, a weird example, but Kevin Smith has kind of been doing shit like that. Um, And he's been, you know, say what you will about Kevin Smith, but he's been very vocal about how bad the studio system is right now Mm -hmm. in getting films produced. And uh, Kevin Smith might use that as an excuse to make some fucking weird-ass movies. Um, But he's not wrong. But he's not wrong. Um, And, honestly, it's better than if he just made a bunch of cop-out-type films.
0: Yeah, you know what? I'll take a tusk over a cop-out.
1: Yeah, hey. Sorry, I don't like the much more, Kevin. I actually really like Red State. That's that's all I got to say about that. (laughs) But back to Uh, Star Wars. Back to Star Wars. The movie that matters more to us than anything, I guess. I don't know. At least at this moment. It's up there. It's fucking up there. The most popular franchise in the universe, so it's not exactly that weird to like it. It's a little (laughs) weird to know what the Bendu is, but that's about it. Unless you're in Uh, China, because China doesn't like Star Wars, apparently.
0: Oh, yeah, what's up with that?
1: Um, I don't know. Maybe years of an oppressive regime (laughs) um, has changed how they view movies. Yeah, Uh, that
0: might have something to do with it, yeah.
1: They, are, they love the Transformers films, but don't really care for Star Wars. I don't know what the fuck that means, <laughs> but personally, I don't think it's very good. <laughs> I hope China can start making its own movies that are, like, good and not trying to be, like, American films.
0: You didn't happen to see The Great
1: Wall, did you? Uh, I might have seen The Great Wall, and uh, holy shit. You know what? <laughs> I, I don't want to see... China fund their own
0: Star Wars. I just want to see what that would look like.
1: Oh, yeah. I can talk a lot about what I wish I was seeing from the Star Wars franchise right now, but I'm saving that for the end because it's going to be like a big rant. Like the
0: end of this recording or the end of this retrospective? No, no the end
1: of the retrospective because i got to kind of save it for when we start talking about Disney.
0: Okay. I have, um, I have concerns as well.
1: but Oh, we're, yeah. We're, we're totally on the same page with that. Everything's going great right now at Disney. Didn't, don't you see Ron Howard's tweets? Everyone's having fun on the Han Solo film. Nothing's wrong. Oh, capitalism is evil and destroying our precious franchises. Uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Franchise filmmaking is a sin. Who cares? We live in a really weird world that wants to see more Star Wars movies. Apparently, nothing go
0: wrong with that. Of course.
1: Yep, they won't. Everything's going to be great. It's going to be great, Matt. Thank you so much for joining me again. Uh, I'm really excited to continue talking Star Wars with you. I'm very excited, too. I can't wait to get more into a lot of different stuff. Um, yeah. i got a lot to talk about ahead. And thanks for having me. I like being on this podcast. It's been fun. Well, thank you. Well, I enjoy having movies. you, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I've really grown to like these retrospectives a lot. And I like sharing them with people. So on that yeah. note, where can people find you?
1: People can find me on Twitter at Emperor OTN. That's it. Yay. You can find me on on Twitter, President Diego, at D-E-W-G-O Waffles. I might change the President Diego soon. Uh, Okay. Or you can find me on other episodes of Retrospectives on the Waffle Press. So check those out, motherfuckers. Yeah. Uh, You fucks. Like and subscribe. Maybe listen to something, you fuckers. (laughs) If you didn't
0: like, like and subscribe anyways, because you might find something you do like. Uh, Yeah, check out all the other retrospectives and buckle in because we got fucking seven more of these. And then, oh fuck, technically eight if we do. We got a lot. Fuck. We got a lot. We got a lot.
1: Recording is in advance. Look forward to that and live long and prosper. (laughs) We have been professionally unprofessional. You'll be malfunctioning within a day, you need desatin' scrap pile.
0: Star Wars. A billion years in the making. The
1: Force will be with you. Always.